This is an ABC podcast. There's this sort of conflict because they're naturally curious, but they're also fearful of the unknown. When it's in their control, a novel situation can be really enjoyable and a really positive experience. But conversely, when they're in a situation where it's being forced upon them and it's new and novel, it can be really stressful for them too. So it's really about how much of a control they have over their situation. Who knew cows like to be in control? Frankly, same. Steaks, milkshakes, a big photo of a Highland cow in a hotel room, leather pants. I'm sure in some way in the last week you might have come into contact with a cow. Though you might not have thought about it directly. And this episode of What the Duck, we are revisiting some cows with a program I made a little while back for Off Track. Now, this came about because I got my hands on a copy of the book called Cow Talk from CSIRO Publishing, and I have to admit I was a bit stunned about how little I knew about cows, but also how interesting they actually are. So, pub quiz first. How does a cow pass the time? They ruminate on things. They'll sort of regurgitate the grass that they've been eating and re-chew it and re-swallow it. That's Dr Rebecca Doyle from the University of Melbourne and one of the co-authors of Cow Talk. And that's part of, you know, helping the digestive process, um, but it also kind of you know, gives them something to do. Yummy. This ability to amuse themselves with an internal activity is one of the potential reasons that cows are less likely to demonstrate stereotypic behaviours. That is, the repetitious movements, things like rocking or sucking things that you might see animals do when they're bored in an enclosure. So, cows might be bored, but we might never know because they have this internal thing that they're doing to sort of amuse themselves. Are you starting to get the feeling that even though we've had a long relationship with this species, in fact, we humans formed this species, that they're actually a little cryptic? So how would you characterise their, for want of a better way of putting it, personality? I think personality is a great word to use. Actually, there's, we also refer to it as temperament because, well, they kind of are related. You know, humans, we refer to ourselves as having a personality, but animals definitely do as well. Sometimes that's referred to as a temperament because they can be sort of standardised. So in terms of their personality, well, gosh, they all have their own individual personalities. And I think that's something that maybe people don't recognise. You know, the same way as each dog is going to have a different personality. The same thing happens in cows and the same thing happens in sheep and in chickens and everything. The traditional things that we think about in terms of personality are things like the level of inherent fear that they have you know you have some that are just more agitated or anxious than others and that's just a natural difference that exists so you have some that are you know conversely more bold and more adventurous how calm they are as well as a part of their personality trait but all of those sorts of things can be sort of adapted slightly so the same way as how if you expose someone that's really scared of I don't know a certain situation over time they become more habituated and you become more used to that situation that was originally really fearful for you the same sort of thing can happen in in all different types of animals we can have them habituated over time and have them more relaxed and comfortable in the environments that we're working with them in. Well, one thing that I really remember about cows from my childhood is the fact that they're always like the chorus in Greek tragedies in that whenever something happened to you, you know, your car broke down or you fell over in the paddock, 
there'd always be a lineup of cows looking at you, sort of. Absolutely. Yeah, they're so curious. Yeah, they are so curious. Cow facts. Oh, yes, they are curious. But do they like Bryce? There's this farmer from Nebraska, he's called Farmer Derek, he's got a YouTube channel, and he plays a version of Lord's Royals to amuse his cows. He starts off sitting on a picnic chair, you can just see the back of his cowdy hat and a trombone, he's facing a hill, it's an empty paddock. He starts playing... And then two little ears appear up over the hill... then four, then six, and then all of a sudden, cows are streaming over the hill like some sort of curious army walking towards him. And by the time he finishes the song, there's a hundred of them, and they're all about two metres away, just listening. Yeah, they're curious. They seem to like brass. Yeah, a little bit of agonistic behaviour there, that one. 1065 is getting a bit angry. <laughs> Back to the paddock outside Shepparton in Victoria with Rebecca Doyle and a bunch of cows with no brass band. She has on either side of her about a metre and a half, whereas everybody's starting to get bunched up now, um, and she's just moved someone on um, who's just squashed in between two other, two other cows, so she's clearly a strong personality. That's right. She would be sort of higher up in the dominance hierarchy, you know, a nice independent woman, likes her space around her. <laughs> Before us, we've got a herd of dairy cows that are in the process of being milked, so we've still got some behind us being milked. Within that group of cows, would there be a social structure? Absolutely. There is definitely a social structure. And again, it comes down to those different personality types. You have some that are just more bold and more dominant. They're probably the ones that are out here. That, and whereas the ones that are a bit more kind of timid or submissive in that social structure are probably still coming through the milking system now. And that's a really, a really normal thing. And that sort of social structure and that so social hierarchy can be dependent on a, a variety of different factors, their temperament, like I said, but also, you know, the age of the cow and the experience is going to obviously influence where they sit in the, in the hierarchy too. How might that play out when they're at, say, grazing, for example? Does that hierarchy actually affect behaviours? Um, it would, because you were going to have some those more bold cows or those that are sort of more dominant are likely to lead the herd so if they're going to a new grazing area or if they're coming in for milking it's going to be led by those more dominant cows and then those at the bottom of the hierarchy you're going to be at the t like following at the tail end in sort of you know where they're going and what they're doing they tend to drive that sort of behavior in in terms of structure of the herd this is a you know this herd has quite a stable structure we have new cows that will join the milking herd once they calve but generally that's a little bit of antagonistic behaviour that you can see there. So this one's kind of has just come in and has started to encroach on this one's feed area and so she's just kind of given her a little bit of a hey man, you know, get your own get your own dinner. But you know, that's sort of as aggressive as it gets really with these with these cows. There's sort of really subtle behaviours that you'll be able to see. Cows are so funny. Like they love to be in a group, but this particular lady wants a dinner table for one only. Save me a table for one. They've evolved as a social species and so they like to have 
you know, the company of others, but also it's really from an evolutionary perspective, a safety thing. They're prey animals and they've evolved to be in a group and that's that sort of protection, the same as how, you know, the Dimpala in, in Africa have that big herd structure and that's what gives them protection from lions and all that sort of thing. Cow facts. Ah, yes, they are herd animals. And scientists have been noting the minimum number that it actually takes to make a herd. And they've found that eight in a group is around the lower limit for a cow. And that's when they start showing increased vigilance. So does that mean that cows can count at least up to eight, which is the number of digits they have to coincidence? The more I find out, the more I want to know about how cows perceive the world. Cows have a really good vision, that's their most dominant sense. Their eyes are on sort of the side of their head compared to ours, where ours are facing forwards. So because our eyes are facing forwards, we have really good binocular vision. So we have great depth perception. We can see um, you know, quite well into the distance. We can really judge so much better than they can how far away an object is. And that's what is you know, beneficial to us and how we operate and how we function. With cows, because their eyes are placed to the side of their heads, they have some binocular focus so they can see relatively well straight ahead of them but the benefit is that they actually have a larger range of vision so they can see you know past way past their shoulders which we can't as a result their blind spot is a lot smaller and the more you can see the less likely you are to have someone sneak up behind you so that's why they've evolved to have their eyes on the sides of their heads now the lack of depth perception how might that play out for a farmer? Um, things like small steps or cracks in the concrete, puddles of water and things like that can cause them to balk or stop moving. And that's because it's really difficult for them to see how safe it is for them to step. That's why things like cattle grids, you might have seen them in the roads, that's how they work. Wait a second. Cow facts. Cattle grids. The Gandalf of the cattle world. You shall not pass. I've always wondered how such a simple thing kept such a big animal from crossing a space. The cow could easily step across it, um, those sort of, you know, bars of metal in the road, but because there's nothing underneath, that works on that depth perception and it causes them to balk and, and not cross those bars. But a similar thing could happen, say, if there was a sharp line of light to dark, so light to shadow, um, they might not be able to tell that it's only shadow and instead think that there's a dirty great big hole there. That's exactly right. So going from areas of light to dark is something that's really unnatural for them and that's because of that depth perception. But at the same time, it's also got to do with, you know, like, fear of what's ahead you know you're not going to walk into a dark room voluntarily because you don't know what's in there so that plays on that sort of innate fear that they have for for unknown situations what about the other senses they have beautiful ears do they have a good sense i mean are they listening right now probably they are definitely their sense of hearing is sorry the second most dominant sense and they can move those ears back and forwards they can move independently of each other as well which again really helps them to pinpoint where a sound's coming from so if it's coming from the left, it's coming from the right behind them or in front of them, they actually have the ability to take that a lot better than what we do. Um, And again, you know, that's an evolutionary benefit for them. One really cool thing that we're starting to look at in animal welfare science is actually what the position of the ears mean 
in terms of how they're feeling about things too. So you can actually look at when they've got their ears back. A position of ears back in sheep is related to sort of a fearful or a negative situation. And in cattle as well, there seems to be a bit of a aggression um, associated with ears back. We're sort of trying to validate those, those ear positions at the moment. But that's something that's definitely we're looking into as a research area. You know, as people drive past pastures full of dairy cows, they probably don't look at them and think that they're a very communicative species. Is, is that a correct assumption? No, I don't think it's a correct assumption at all. They have a lot of really subtle communications with each other and we can see that just as we're looking at them here, you know, there's that dominant cow that we were talking about before has sort of managed to really, you know, push all of the others out of the way. Um, there's, but there's others that are feeding really close by each other and seem to not being bothered by it all, seem to be really enjoying it. Um, you know, you'll have uh, mutual grooming that will occur too. Um, not so commonly, but that's definitely something that will occur, and that's like a bonding behaviour. What um, about vocalisation? Yeah, vocalisations too, definitely. So they'll have different ranges of vocalisations. Um, the most common ones are sort of, you know, uh, communication when they're isolated, and that's how they can co communicate with the herd to find out where the herd is and rejoin if they're by themselves. What might she be saying? I don't know. I don't know who she's calling to. She's got a big load of feet in front of her and she's, um, you know, with the rest of the bunch. But she looks like she's looking around. So whether or not there's someone at the at the end of the herd that's still waiting to be milked that she's trying to communicate with, I, I don't know. That's the, um, the one of the the best challenges of working with animals is that unlike you and I, they can't communicate directly with us. So we need to look at all these novel, subtle indicators of, of what they are thinking about and how they are feeling, how healthy they are and how happy they are. Cow facts. Have you noticed how we're talking about cows here? Females, cows, yes. Well, that's because about 85% of all dairies in Australia use artificial insemination. It's really actually quite rare for a bull to be let loose in a paddock of dairy cows on this continent. The cows are artificially inseminated and the genetic traits are often tracked too by the Australian Dairy Herd Improvement Scheme to get a good rate of fertilisation. Now, you want to be inseminating them when the cow is on heat, when her eggs are primed and ready to go. But how do you know? Well, you have to be looking at her behaviours, hoping to see something that a bull might pick up if he had a chance. So there's actually like a lot of mounting that will happen, cows mounting other cows. As in female on female. That's an indicator. But when she's about to come onto heat as well, her movement will increase really significantly. So she'll just walk around a lot more, maybe like sort of a seeking behaviour or something. Um, and, you know, so, so people, farmers can actually track that by putting like a, um, like a pedometer, you know, or a, an activity logger on their cows and track how much movement she's doing. And that can be an early indicator of, of heat. What about indications that she might be feeling unwell? They just are less vibrant, um, they're slower in their movements. They might, you know, change their position and how they behave when they come in for milking. That's something that we can actually look at. Change in herd position is something we're looking at as an indicator of um, an oncoming health condition. All of these, what could be very subtle indicators towards an illness, really rely on the farmer having quite an intimate pattern of observation of the herd. Yeah, definitely. So we were talking with the the farmer before the first cow had come in for, for milking and he could automatically tell from that cow's behavior that there was a blockage in the feed line and that's because she was 
in the milker for about 30 seconds and she had her head up and was looking around and you know as if to say hey mate where's my food and having an understanding of the behavior of the animal is going to give you a much greater understanding of of how it's feeling and how it's producing and all that sort of stuff why why should we care that whether a cow is happy well there's oh, a whole variety of different reasons first and foremost if if she's happy and she's healthy then we can be confident that the product we're producing is is good and is going to be of high quality so that's just on a baseline kind of economic level but as well as that you know these are animals that we have domesticated and we have in our care for our benefit and so you know it's our responsibility I believe to care about their welfare and as well as how well they're producing. When, I mean, one of the reasons why it's really important to care about their welfare is because we know through all these different scientific measures that these animals can feel pain and they can, you know, be stressed and feel anxiety and feel fear. And we also know that they can feel like, you know, more positive emotions too. And and just that the knowledge of that makes us makes it, I believe, our responsibility that we can kind of reduce those those negative experiences as much as possible and increase those positive experiences as much as possible. It's important to acknowledge here on a number of fronts that animal welfare has to be talked about. Think of the debates on live export, but also practices of calf removal, which is a necessity in a large-scale dairy environment. But let's step back and think about these issues from the point of view of the domestication of cattle over the last 8,000 years. At first, cattle were wild and free, but they had the risk of hunger, of predators knocking them off. So, in return for them providing milk, meat and leather, we gave them consistent food and protection from the predators, apart from us. So... Domestication isn't just about taming that wild animal, it's a long-term process of breeding as well, as we select animals that suit our needs, right? And for thousands of years, the farmers have been melding that evolution of cows to suit the conditions and desired products that they want. So that's how we have meat specialist breeds and milk specialist breeds, for example. But as we continue breeding the cattle, the drive for production becomes ever greater. And along with that is a risk that the welfare of the individual animals is impinged at some point in the domestication process. Our breeding must hit their biological potential. And if the drive production continues to rise beyond that potential, the welfare of the animal will certainly be a casualty to economics. So what is the social contract that we have with cattle. At what point is this deal unfair when what we're asking to take from the animal is greater than what we provide for it? So zooming back in with what happens to an animal on a daily basis, it means that even small interactions have big ethical implications some really interesting stuff, interesting research that's been done at the Animal Welfare Science Centre is looking at differences in individual milkers or handlers and how that affects the behaviour of cows. So you can actually look and see those people that are, are calmer and 
quieter with the cows, actually get a better milk yield from them because they're more calm as well, the cows. And they also have less fearful behaviours and less kicks and tail swishes and all that sort of negative behaviour as well. And that's a really interesting thing to kind of consider what our impact is on these animals as well on a day-to-day -day basis. How can we communicate? Say, how does a farmer say to these girls, I want you to go to the end of the paddock and head out the gate? How might a farmer do that? Oh, there's lots of different ways. And that's something that these, you know, these farmers here have to consider all the time. So personal space or flight zone is something that we can use to move animals. And that's really that sort of safety distance where the animal feels like it's not being threatened by you. If you want an animal to move, you can start to penetrate that safety zone and then they'll move to re-establish it. So that might be taking a step backwards or taking a couple steps backwards. Um, flight distance as well is a way that we can actually look at you know how fearful animals are of us. So if an animal that's not handled very often or has been handled in a negative way is going to have a greater flight zone than an animal that hasn't. So that sort of plays out if you can imagine mustering cattle from the outback who very rarely have human contact compared to these ladies who have yep. human contact three times a day. So in those cases the mustering can be done from a motorbike at a distance of 20 to 30 metres because mm -hmm. their flight zone is so great yep. compared to these ladies who we'd probably have to approach pretty close I'm imagining to get them to actually move in a direction we're seeking. Cow facts. Of course, some cows are so habituated to humans that they're completely comfortable being photographed and cuddled and even let inside. In fact, scientists undertook to uh, potty train some calves and they found that calves actually took to the moo very quickly. It took just over two weeks for the calves to get out of nappies for good. Jokes. How about the nappies? The training was real and published in Current Biology with a paper titled Learned Control of Urinary Reflexes in Cattle to Help Reduce Greenhouse Gas Emissions. Anyways, cows can hold on, they are curious, and they can learn new skills. Cows have excellent spatial learning and spatial cognition. Obviously, that's how they need to get around. But the different ways that they're raised can also affect their learning and cognition too. So some really interesting studies that have just been done from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, have shown that the ways you actually raise calves can have an influence on how readily they can learn tasks. So for example, if they're housed in pairs or with other groups of calves, they actually have improved learning and cognition compared to if they're housed individually. That's just really fascinating in itself that that sort of early life um, experience can influence you know, their learning. But if we actually think about it from a practical point of view, that's really important. These cows have to learn all this new stuff. They need to learn and adapt to robotic milkers, how to come into the dairy, how to be a part of the herd, all these different things that they need to learn and be exposed to. If you can help facilitate that, you know, make it easier for that cow to learn that, it's going to adapt better to the conditions that we're keeping them in um, and that's going to have benefits to their welfare potentially. So that's a really interesting area that we're starting to focus on and research in, in animal welfare is really starting to focus on cognition in general. You know, how do animals process information? We know that looking at how they process information can give us can give us an insight into how they're feeling about things the same way as we are optimistic or pessimistic by nature but also by how we're feeling um, depending on our our mental state we can measure the same sorts of things in animals as well and that's a really interesting up-and-coming area of research. So despite sort of spending thousands of years with this 
species, we still have a lot to learn. Oh, yes, so much. You know, the difference in communication. We still have so much to learn within ourselves on how we function and how we think about things. And we can communicate directly with each other. You know, with these, with the animals that we work with, we can't communicate with them directly. We need to look at all these different indirect signals. So we look at indirect measures of physiology, of behaviour and of cognition to all give us an insight altogether as to how they're feeling about their situation. Rebecca Doyle is the co-author of Cow Talk along with John Moran. It's published through CSIRO Publishing and Dr Doyle is with the University of Melbourne. This is What the Duck. I'm Anne Jones. Patria Ladgrove works on this show with me, and we produce this mostly on the lands of the Wadawurrung and Ghana people. Been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.